J. Rachel Edden. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we basically just spoil the hell out of X-Men Apocalypse. Yes, indeed. Now, you will note that this does not, in fact, have an episode number, and that's because this is not a standard episode. We're releasing it in addition to our usual weekly stuff. Right, and that is happening thanks to our rad Patreon subscribers. We're a listener-supported podcast. We have milestones. One of them is is additional, the occasional uh, AV projects, and so this is this is one of those. And so, so thank you, Patreon subscribers. Um... You rock. You, you let us do stuff. Yes, indeed. Um, and so this is not going to be a standard episode in a lot of ways. Um, for starters, it is going to be extremely informal. We are sitting here with no outline whatsoever, which is new for us. It's also going to be largely unedited because Kyle hasn't seen Apocalypse yet. And, you know, we're trying not to spoil it for him. And also, it's it's not a standard episode. So we're going to be a little bit more off the cuff than usual. We've seen the movie. Uh, oh, yeah. And obviously, I know we've said it like four times, but officially... This will contain spoilers for X-Men Apocalypse. This will contain in-depth discussion of things like who lives and who dies and what's in the stinger at the end. Yes. So if you haven't seen Apocalypse and you want to be surprised by anything in it, you should pause this episode, leave it in your podcast feed, go see the movie when it's convenient, and come back. Thanks to the magic of technology, we will still totally be here. I mean, we hope. If you want to know what what we think about X-Men Apocalypse and you don't want spoilers, um, I will will link in the the copy around this episode to a a video review and also to my longer written review both of which are spoiler free yes but we wanted to we wanted to talk in more detail about what we liked and what worked for us and that that involves getting into into the the gritty depths and details so where do you want to start you want to start with the stinger just spoil the biggest thing first. Um, sure, let's do it. Okay, so the stinger, which is to say... Sinister, they're bringing Sinister! Yeah, so like, you know, at the end of the movie, after the credits, if you stick around for it, as all the Avengers movies have trained us to do, you know, uh, there are these three sort of suited dudes who are not seen at all by the various guards in the Weapon X facility who steal a sample of Weapon X's blood and put it into a suitcase with a bunch of other different colored fluids labeled Essex. Essex Corp. Essex Corp. Um, I was a little disappointed that none of them looked like they could have been Mr. Sinister. I mean, they were all very natally attired, but none of them had that, like, handsome smarm that Sinister always does. Making them just a little bit too pale and giving them red tie tacks, I feel like, would have would have done a lot. I am, on one hand, tremendously excited about Sinister on the big screen. On the other hand, I'm sort of worried that they're going to, like, desaturate him down. Be- and, and Sinister just ha- Sinister has to go to 11 to work. He absolutely does. And I mean, the same could potentially be said for Apocalypse, and we'll we'll get to that. But Sinister, I think, especially if you take him fully seriously, there's just nothing left. Well, Ultimate X-Men tried to do like a, a gritty street level Sinister, and he just sucked. Unfortunate. He was he was pointless and he was boring. And I, yeah, no, um, Sinister, the fun of Sinister is that he, he does not care about your genre conventions. That's right. Like, he's just going to breeze in. He's going to do his thing. I just want to see Mr. Sinister show up in a bunch of different genres of movie. Like, you know, it's a Nicholas Sparks, two people kissing in the rain movie. And then Sinister just shows up and, like, starts extracting one of their DNA while they're making out or something. I, Mr. Sinister ruins all the movies. I want that. I want that. Ruins to hell. He'd make them, he'd make them better. Okay, yeah, you're talking about Nicholas Sparks. Uh, Sinister saves the movies. Yeah, I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, so that stinger. Now, when we we actually saw a press screening, that's how Jay was able to write uh, their review. You know, before the movie was actually out, um, and they didn't have the stinger at the end of that one. The so, bastards. so us seeing the movie last night. This was uh this this past Friday. Um, that was the first time we saw the stinger. So it's still oh, very I, I t- exciting. I totally spoiled it for myself. I I I read articles about it. 
well, still, you know, seeing it is a different thing. Yeah. So we've seen it. We've seen it twice now. Coming out of it the second time, what 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 are your general impressions? What what did you what did you think of X Men Apocalypse, Miles? Well, Jay. Um. So they're kind of similar to my impressions from when we saw the the press version. I mean, obviously, I was I was just seeing it as a movie fan this time, as opposed to as someone who was going to have to potentially talk about it. Although, ironically, this is the only review that I'm doing is after the second time. But you, whatever. We, we talked about it in video reviews. We did. Yeah, a little bit. Um. But for me, uh, overall, I definitely enjoyed. It and I can certainly simultaneously acknowledge the movie was kind of a mess. The pacing is super weird. Um, it feels like they try to cram more things into a movie than they should, and thus don't go into as much depth as I would like. Well, and they cram in the wrong things. I mean, sometimes I don't think anything was particularly out of place in the movie. Um, but I also know that I like the Charles Eric Manfield's trilogy thing better than you do. Oh, I was thinking of Wolverine actually. Oh, you know that is a good that was point. like. Think about all of the Weapon X facility carnage and think about the fact that we could have had a mall scene instead. Yeah. Okay. So for those unfamiliar, I mean, uh, presumably you've seen the movie, but if you haven't, there's – and you don't care about spoilers, which you don't oh, if you're here. Oh, we go through plot? Uh, in a minute, but let's, let's talk about this since we're talking about it. Okay. Um, so at one point, the characters end up in the Weapon X facility and Weapon X, Wolverine, you know, who's in his like mindless experimenty savage he's thing. He's specifically in his he's, – he's in his Barry Windsor Smith cover phase. Yeah. He gets out and kills like a shit ton of people. So many people people before gene partially heals his mind and he goes off to run around barefoot in the snow like he, like you do and so i don't know for me yeah I, I will agree i think that scene like it was cool it was certainly cool seeing weapon x stuff but it seemed so out of place that like there's this movie which is i would i certainly wouldn't call it lighthearted. i mean a lot of dark shit happens but there's not that much like horrible graphic murder in any other part of the movie and so it seemed out of place especially for the kids to not be like freaking the hell out seeing it yeah like kurt is briefly shocked by it but everyone else is just like yeah whatever he just stabbed like 70 people no big it's really, it's really strange and it feels really shoehorned in. Like it very much feels like the contractually obligated Wolverine scene. And again, I feel like we, we lost kind of a, a tonal thing. Okay. So, but, but anyway, going back to, to general impressions, I'm sorry. Cause I, I totally derailed that. Oh, no, that's okay. And like you said, the scene that was cut that we've read about the mall scene with, uh, Jubilee Nightcrawler, Cyclops and Jean at the mall hanging out. Like I think that would have fit way better. And I think that would have taken away some of my complaints of certain things not being focused on enough because for me the kids are absolutely the highlight of the movie like they were easily my favorite part those kids uh and storm specifically and so the fact that we didn't get to see them just hanging out which i think is one of the main things that's been missing from the whole x-men movie franchise is the characters Mm -hmm. hanging out and getting to know each other yeah that's unfortunate that would have been great yeah those moments i mean brett Brett white posted an article i think today about potential arcs for the future of the x-men franchise and one of the things he mentioned is that, yeah, you know, a Wolverine Carnage scene is is classic X-Men, but so is a bunch of teenagers hanging out in a mall. That is as much a standby of the comics. And it's it's a thing that's been missing, I think, from the movie franchise. I was I was again, I was I was talking to actually Jeff, Jeff Loveness or the um, who's, who's been writing the Groot series yesterday about this. And one of the things we both came back to was what a big deal it felt like that the X-Men won the last fight very much as a team, that what let them get through it was teaming up, was working together, was was the classic scene where everyone throws themselves or all of their powers or whatever at an energy bubble. Like that, that was that, you know, that you could set it to the Adam Warlock track teamwork and it would fit like the only other moment I can think of that comes close to that. And this is horrible is the danger room sequence at the beginning of X3. You know, yeah. I mean, say what you will about X three, and we, it's got we all that do. one really good fight. It, it totally yeah. does, yeah. But but they're, they they don't they haven't really fought as a team. Like that's never 
you've never had that kind of solidarity and teamwork. And like that, that felt like something clicking that just hadn't yet. Well, and I think part of that is that in this trilogy, in the first class, Days of Future Past, Apocalypse trilogy, we haven't really had X-Men for the entire trilogy. Like we've had a few abortive attempts to make a team, but like all the, most of the team in first class dies. The team in Days of Future Past is just, you know, random people thrown together in the present and a team that all dies in an alternate future. And so seeing these kids come together to work with, you know, like Beast and Mystique and and Xavier and stuff, like that's really the first time we've seen the X-Men since the original trilogy, which obviously was very much of its time and had its own problems. The other thing we haven't had is an ensemble cast. Yeah, it's it's largely been it's it's basically had one or two protagonists per movie. And while I recognize the importance of of point of view characters and of, of those those point of entry characters, I think that with something that's very fundamentally about team and very, very fundamentally about family. That's that that ultimately is going to have to detract from it to some extent. Yeah, because I mean, X-Men has always been a team book like it's never not been a team book. It's never been like the Avengers where it's a bunch of solo characters that come together like the X-Men really mainly work when they're a group slash school slash family slash whatever. And this movie totally captures that. Well, this movie is kind of the the X-Men movie we've never had, which is the getting the band together movie. Right. I do love that after, depending on how you count, either six or nine X-Men movies, where we end up right now is like basically leading up to what should be the first story arc. What we have is the team finally being in costume and starting to train as movie number nine draws to a close. So let's talk about the team. I kind of want to do a rundown of all of the characters and how they were handled, because this is a big thing for me. So we've got you know, Professor Xavier, of course. Right. So, I mean, Xavier, you know, I, I love James McAvoy as Xavier, as a young yeah. Xavier. I think yeah, he's same. stellar. Um, and I do enjoy that we, we see him over the course of the 60s, 70s, 80s trilogy of, of the most recent three t- uh, main movies, you know, turn into a character that conceivably could have grown up into Patrick Stewart's like Grandpa Professor Xavier. And I think we do see a lot of that here. We see him learning to trust his students more. We see him chilling the fuck out a little bit more. Um, and, th- and thanks to the alternate timeline, we also see him giving women any sort of agency instead of taking it away from them, which is a welcome change with Mystique and more awkwardly handled uh, Moira McTaggart, but mainly with Jean. Yeah. So we're going to get there in a little bit. Um, Magneto. So with Magneto here, we we finally get – and this is one of the things that worked less well for me in the movie, I got to say. We we finally get Magneto's the, – the other tragic part of Magneto's tragic origin story, which is 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 – Magda and Anya, the, the wife and daughter. Or Nina, in are, this case. Whatever, it's, it's still, she's still Anya, she's just palette-swapped Anya. Um, with a different, you know, getting killed by an angry mob after they see Magneto use his powers to save someone's life. If you came in from the comics, you knew how doomed these characters were the second you were aware of their existence. Yeah, it's and like I, it's like John Constantine loving someone. They're fucked. Like, and I I wonder how this played for people who didn't. Be, like, whether it was also because I mean, they really read to me like characters who were set up to die. Like they yeah. are they are characters who are so obviously going to be early collateral damage. Well, because I mean, and and that's that's the problem with preview culture, and even more so with with spoiler culture and comics. Like we've seen Magneto as a villain, as a as a horseman in the trailers, so we know he's got to get there somehow, and that takes away a lot of the surprise. You're like, okay, here you have this idyllic life. Clearly, this is not going to go well. Yeah, I I, I like Michael Fassbender's beard though. Uh, yes, he, he, I, I think more people should have beards. I'm yeah, quite biased, nice. though. Um, yeah, I mean, I will agree, like, as strong as he was, especially in first class and to a lesser degree in Days of Future Past, like, I think this was probably his weakest role as Magneto. It was still good. He's still a good actor, but he just, he didn't get to play to his or the character's strengths as much. He feels artificially central in the way that Wolverine's felt artificially central before, actually. I would agree, yeah, because, I mean, you know, having him as a horseman of Apocalypse or even the central horseman of Apocalypse, like, 
okay, I'm down with that. But trying to still have him have the central role he's had in First Class and Days of Future Past, I think that was a little much. Okay, so let's get through the other two, or I guess the other three recurring, or the other three returning First Class um, folks. Four, four. God, there's... This this movie is this movie has such a big cast like it's so our chief weapon of surprise yeah basically um nobody expects Mara McTaggart to come out anyway um so we've got with the other the other the other sort of the big trinity of of this trilogy is Mystique right yeah and that's always been fascinating to me how Mystique has become such a central character to this franchise and obviously it's because Jennifer Lawrence is a, a very successful very popular actress and they know that'll get butts and seats to see the movie and I mean she is you know excellent to be fair I like that but... she gives the general impression of being as frustrated with the Xavier and Magneto bullshit part of this and the lack of progress in the franchise as I am totally but I actually do really like that about the character I like that she's just done with all this that yeah. she's just burned the fuck out i mean and that she's you know in in her non-blue form although i suspect that was because she didn't want to be in makeup so much just because she doesn't want to deal with any of this mutant stuff any more than she has to or rather because she's dealing with it but she's doing it she she is she is she has she has traded statement for almost entirely for action yeah and so i I wasn't expecting to enjoy this version of Mystique so much over the course of the the more recent trilogy, mm-hmm. but she's she's a compelling character. As much as she has almost nothing to do with the comic book version, I kind of like her. I mean, it's sort of the same way I felt about Rogue. The movie Rogue is very different, but I like her. Same thing with Mystique. I like her much more in this movie, actually, than in either of the preceding ones. She was, really? Yeah. I mean, I, I really like her in the preceding ones, but I liked her portrayal here more, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I'll buy that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think she's it's the first time we've really seen her function as an independent character in the ways I want her to. She is effectively teaming up with with Xavier on her own terms. She's, you know, and when when she finally does end up working with him and basically leading the X-Men at the end. She's doing it because he acknowledges that she's right, not because she's once again been won over to his way of doing things. That is a good point. I think that's very true. And as much as I'm kind of I'm kind of done with the Magneto Xavier oh, yeah. mystique thing, like, you know, at least in the story, if she were to stick around, there would be perfectly good justification for her to do so. Like even in even in Days of Future Past, which was nominally about, you know, her her being you know granted the agency to save the world it was still very much about charles having the change of heart to say go little butterfly fly free rather than her taking that or going free it was mm-hmm. very much his story not hers she was a MacGuffin in it yeah which i fucking hated and this is the first time she hasn't felt like that uh, I'll, I'll totally buy that yeah which i very much appreciated so who, who else we've got returning we've got hank we've uh got we beast. have beast and beast you know nicholas holt as beast is is fine yeah i uh, i think it's kind of been an issue with him with these three movies that he's just you know, I, he's not the Beast I know and love. Now, he's very, very good. I like this version of Beast. But that kind of, like, you know, confident erudition is something that I've missed in the portrayal of the character that I think, uh, what's-his-face, Kelsey Grammer totally yeah. did have in X-Men 3. I think a lot of that is direction and scripting. And I think it's a Beast we're starting to see him grow into at this point. Like, there's he's he's he is much wryer in this movie. I was just thinking the same ones. word, yeah. Especially like when he realizes that Mystique is there, not to see him, but of course about Magneto again. He's like, right, sure, Magneto, of course. Well, no, that's just more him being cynical. But yeah, he seems, and and even though he's not defaulting to being blue, he seems much more comfortable in that skin at this point. Like it's, mm-hmm. it seems again like Mystique a, a facade that he he largely adopts for convenience he's not a very central player but i i like him i hope he sticks around i hope we get more of his dynamics with the younger x generation of x-men because i think he's a character who could be a really really good 
I mean, he's he's the oldest of the original X-Men. And yeah. he's one who, just because of his his relative erudition and intelligence, comes across as older still and ends up much, very much in an older sibling role to them a lot of the time. And seeing that play out more literally could be fun. Although that said, the timeline of these movies, like if you think about it, if they're each 10 years apart, uh, Nicholas Holt should be like in his 40s at this point. And I don't I don't you buy know what? It. You know what? I don't even care. Repeat to yourself. It's just a movie franchise. I should really. It is it is an inconsistent movie franchise based on an inconsistent comics franchise with an inconsistent timeline. I mean, if there's any time to just utterly defer to rule of cool it's probably this one you can if, if you really want something just go with mutant age slowly okay that that's entirely fair yeah which i think with mystique they very explicitly are um so yeah i mean those are our our returning that's uh, not no we've got two more oh yeah there's moira there's moira um moira comes back um moira comes back and sort of indiana jones is around for the cia and is entirely secondary and basically is frustrating in all of the ways she is frustrating in first class although she wears more clothing and she finally gets her memories back and for some goddamn reason doesn't punch charles in the face yeah she really should and i mean that's one thing that i think is most missing from comics moira is that she has always been the character to call xavier on his shit and i can see her developing into a character like that if the franchise continues but for right now like come on stand up for yourself lady do you think they were teasing at um proteus uh proteus uh which part are you talking about she's got a kid Oh, she did mention she had a kid. That's true. And she mentions that she'd had a husband, but there's no timeline. So it could be Joe McTaggart. That well, jerk. it could be Joe McTaggart, but the kid could also be Charles. So he could be reasonably either Legion or Proteus. Oh, well, we'll see. I mean, at the end of the Legion TV show is supposed to be pretty disconnected. Um, they said more David Lynch than Brian Singer, which is intriguing. I mean, um, that's definitely the direction to go for Legion. Can you imagine Brian Singer's Legion series? Can you imagine Zack Snyder's Legion series? Vividly. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, I'm go wash my brain out. With Marvel, if you're listening, don't let that happen. Please don't let that happen. So that leaves havoc. Uh, yeah, havoc that... in this mostly has really bad hair and then dies. Also, Quicksilver. Um, yeah, all oh, right, yeah, Quicks. Well, no, because we were doing just the first class ones. Oh, okay, Quicksilver is Days of Future Past. Yeah, havoc. Um, havoc was cool actually. I really yeah. liked him. Like, I thought it would be a big problem to have havoc as Scott's older brother. You know, reversing the comics timeline, but I think it really worked. Like to have a Scott that messed up and have a brother that that cares about him and that scott will actually sort of listen to he's not that i mean he's a grumpy teenager at the beginning he's, with laser eyes with laser eyes which are much more lasery in this they, i mean they, 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 are, they do are lasers, start yeah. fires and stuff um yeah. so man i have i have of 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 the tiers of issues i have with the changes to 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 havoc and cyclops's backstory havoc being older is way below living parents in terms of things yeah. that bug me. Well, you know what's going to happen is in between, you know, X-Men Apocalypse and X-Men whatever comes next, they'll just be, you know, taking a plane trip to Disneyland and bam, she our spaceship. They didn't even need to be in that movie. But because they have living parents and because you cannot have Cyclops without some kind of absolutely devastating loss early on havoc has to die yeah well, which and i don't know if i buy pointlessly and it's dumb and it bugs me well they also you never see a body so he He's, could be back so this man this this bugs me for a lot of reasons but one of them is that he was he was my only he was he was the only character whose movie incarnation like i not only really liked but actually like better than their comics version and you i know? like comics havoc but i really love movie havoc anachronistic hair and all yeah, I do too. Although I wish they could get the visual effects from the comic for his powers. They get close. You get concentric rings finally in this one. It's a start. And yeah. then he dies. Well, you know, just you flew too close to the sun. <laughs> I guess. Um, no, he can. He he absorbed a star in 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 um one of the space adventure comics. Oh, he totally did, didn't he? He totally did. That's how he took out Vulcan. <laughs> Freaking Vulcan. 
So, yeah, so we have those characters returning. Um, and I mean, you know, Quicksilver's there. He's fine. He's basically the same. The, the scene where he does his slow motion thing, while it's beautiful, I do think it kind of takes away from, um, the, what should be a very poignant, devastating scene of the Xavier Mansion being destroyed. Yeah, it's a scene, honestly, that carries into, um, you, you mentioned Zack Snyder. And one of the, one of the things I think this movie really fails at is impact of violence. Yeah, especially got, the Weapon X stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's got a lot of... I was thinking especially the fact that Magneto destroys most major cities in the world. Oh, he kind of does do that, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. See, the fact that that's that forgettable is kind of <laughs> horrifying to me. Um, I mean, maybe he just, like, shakes him up a little, you but, know? But, like, we get a moment of students looking sort of surprised after the school is destroyed, but that's it. Yeah, and, and I mean, really, this should this is their home, you know? This is, like, this refuge for them in this world that hates and fears them, even if we never really see any of them use their powers. They're presumably mutants. Well, and it's it's... It just, we never have enough time to see the impact. We have very, very few of those quiet moments where the big stuff that happens kind of settles in, which is again, one of, one of the greatest strengths of the X-Men comics. We get a couple of them. We get, we get Scott grieving for Alex. We get, you know, a few characters just sort of trying to deal with the scale of, of de- devastation, but very, very little beyond that. You know what we do get though is the most believable Scott and Gene moments I've ever seen on the screen. Oh man. Yeah. So we are, we should, we, we talked about quick sliver. You want to just move on to the kids now? Let's do it. So yeah. Talk the, I, I want to start with Jean because she is, I'm, I am so excited about this version of Jean gray. Yeah, me too. She's, um, Sophie Turner plays her with a degree of, there's a, there's a flatness and an eeriness to her delivery that I love that makes Jean a little bit uncomfortable and a little less casually and like a lot less casually and effortlessly charismatic than she's usually portrayed as, which I think is very important and a lot less empathetic, which I think is a hugely sensible and hugely smart take on the character because she is, you know, there's, 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 there's a moment, my, my, my two, my two gene moments, my two favorite gene moments. Like from the comic or no, from the movie. Okay. Um, one of them is a line where, where she's, she's, where, where, where Scott is just, is, fall, is falling apart over, over Alex. And she's, you know, she's telling him that, you know, Alex thought you were going to, you were, and then Scott's like, you know, he was the one who was supposed to actually accomplish anything. I'm just a fuck up. And she's like, no, no, he, he thought you were going to accomplish great things. And Scott's like, how, how, how would you even know how he felt? And Gene responds, I'm a telepath. I know how everyone feels. And she sounds so, like her delivery of that line is so flat and miserable. It's just resigned. Yeah, and that's like that works so well for me for this character for someone who is continually bombarded with other people's feelings and expectations. And I think that's what you should do if you have the opportunity to show these characters when they're very young is show them before they've gotten the confidence that we see in them as adults, you know? That's one of the reasons I really liked the movie version of Rogue from the very first X-Men movie is because we see her like, you know, even less confident than when she first shows up in the comic seeking the X-Men's help. And here with Jean like yeah, you know, this is the equivalent of the way she was before she even joined the X-Men right when she met Xavier after Annie Sullivan died. More than that, it gives us a gene and the potential for a gene who's not Saint Gene. Yeah. It it gives us a gene who is a person who is responding credibly to difficult circumstances, someone who responds to that bombardment not by trying to bend over backwards and be there for everyone, but by shutting herself off to an extent, which I feel like is a more realistic take on the character and also a more appealing one because, again, like, I want a gene who's difficult. I want mm-hmm. a gene who's complex. So my other gene moment is actually almost the perfect inverse of that one. Okay. And this is in the final fight with Apocalypse. And this is this is a moment of Jean coming into her powers. 
she's facing off telepathically with Apocalypse within, within Xavier's mind. It's, you know, it's like what you it do. is. I, although I really wish we'd seen like that weird astral armor that Xavier and like the Shadow King always wear. Oh man, that would have been fun. But wow. no, no, alas, we don't. We do, we do get to see some of Charles's psychic landscape, which is very, very cool. Yeah. Very well put together. Um, but she is, and she's, she's walking towards Apocalypse in Charles's mind and she's walking towards him off of this sheared off like fourth floor balcony. And she's just walking smoothly. And there's a moment specifically where she just steps out onto the air. Yeah, and it, it takes a second to realize what's going on. And from that point, that was my oh shit moment. Like well, I was that's just that's the moment when you realize that there are starting to be flames in the background. And that's the moment where you're like, oh my god, they're gonna do a, they're gonna do Phoenix, they're gonna do a Phoenix flare, they're gonna do a Phoenix flare, and then they sort of do one and then they totally do one. And yeah. it's great. And I remember when we were walking out of the movie, I was talking to um, Max, who does waiting for the tea about that specific scene. Oh man, I was sitting next to him during the movie and he freak the hell out it was so great yeah because that's the part where you're like wait what we were waiting for from the last scene of x-men 2 onward it's finally going to be ha- it's finally going to be done right it's finally going to happen well it's going to happen now it's going to be integrated with the character man i hope i hope they do phoenix well i recognize yeah. that doing shiar phoenix would be a whole other set of layers of difficult but i hope that whatever they do with phoenix they do a phoenix who they they they, they do something deserving of i mean i I don't care if it's the letter of X-Men 137, but I want something that has that impact. Well, okay, so I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. And here's what I'm thinking. So the most gratifying scene in Days of Future Past, the movie Days of Future Past, Mm -hmm. was at the end when you find out that, you know, X-Men 3 was undone, that Scott and Jean are still around. And if you notice, Jean is wearing the same dark red that she was wearing as Dark Phoenix in in X-Men 3, Mm -hmm. which implies that the altered timeline is one where she's able to control the Phoenix Force. Yeah. And, like, don't get me wrong, I'm all for doing the Dark Phoenix saga right if you can do it, but I don't want to lose that happy ending. I don't want to undo the fact that things have worked out okay because of the sacrifices that these characters have made. You know, I want a gene who is ultimately able to triumph over that and maybe who doesn't die on the moon and then turn out to be in Jamaica Bay, et cetera, et cetera. Movie, or I mean, cartoon Dark Phoenix Saga. Kind of, yeah. I think the X-Men animated series did a really good job of that because it, it kept the basic structure of the story. It kept the emotional heft as much as a Saturday morning cartoon could that wasn't like Batman the animated series. Um or many modern things, but the point stands. And yet it gave it a happy ending where Jean lived and it worked. I think it totally worked. Okay, so continuing through the kids, um, Cyclops is obviously the next one. Well, I mean, okay, I know we were like alternating, but I think really this should be a you thing. because I agree. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about Ty Sheridan. Okay, so I was I was so prepared to hate this version of Cyclops because they kept on describing him as like a bad boy and super angry. And it's like... Do you remember that picture that uh, David... Uh, was it David Wynn that drew it? It was. It was, it was David who, who drew him as a, 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 a ridiculous punk rock, rock Cyclops, which I love. That's, that's in the zine. Um, <laughs> But, like, and he's not. He's a fucking nerd. Like, Cyclops is such a fucking nerd. Anyway, um, this version of Cyclops is, 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 I think, less. He, he is, he is not the character who those interviews led me to expect. He is, he is an angry teenager in ways that work well. And he's, I think, a very good example of an adapted character that you've, you've, you've got a character who's, who's fairly different origin wise from the letter of the comics one. I mean, he's a very, very, very different backstory, fairly different character, a lot more confident, at least initially. Um, but who retains a lot of the traits and characteristics and is very believable as someone who could reasonably grow up into, into especially movie Cyclops, but Mm -hmm. any version. And I should say, you know, the one, the one from, um, the main movies officially had a different backstory too. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but yeah. Um, so 
And the things, you know, and I, the, I, 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 Sheridan's performance was really, really, really good. He really, really sold the character. You were talking about some of the body language he was doing. I was. There were, there are two specific things that for me, or actually there's one specific thing for me. I will forgive a lot of a Cyclops who looks terrified every time he uses his powers, mm-hmm. which, which he totally did. And there's the fact that almost every time his glasses come off until the last battle, there's a moment of him just with his eyes squeezed shut. And you mentioned that he always... And they're always... Well, and they're always they're always that way when he puts the glasses on for a minute. Like, he's still got them super squeezed shut. And he, whenever, every time he uses his powers, he starts by aiming at the ground and then sweeping up to whatever he's looking at. Because it's just safer that way, because there's no every chance time. of an accident. Yeah, and he's he's just he's just terrible with his powers. Like his his sense of of how they work and how they work relative to physics is non-existent. I like that. Yeah, because we're used to seeing the Cyclops, who's like you know a master of geometry, who can play a pool expertly with his optic blast. And this one, you know, the beam of concussive force. As much as yes, it's all lasery in this one, but like you still you get a sense of that of that impact of you know him just not knowing how to control just the sheer physics of what's well, that's, going on. That's largely that that particular control is largely at least in the movies a byproduct of the visor we see him the one time we see him without it as an adult in the movies he's he's that out of control since in the train station scene oh that's true because he's just got the ruby course glasses that he takes off and puts on this time um yes he's yeah he's he's just got the the glasses he doesn't get the visor until the scene at the very 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 end when they all get the costumes um so yeah i like this version i i get why they had to kill havoc because again you need that loss and that shift of focus that comes from that like cyclops needs to be driven but a lot of that drive needs to come from obligation totally yeah and yeah that worked well his and gene's dynamic the early conversation where they're talking together and each of them assume as a group of students passes by far that they're the one that those students are afraid of i love that yeah because in the comic you you don't have that you have this very well adjusted gene from as soon as she shows up like all of her tragedy is in her pre backstory sort of Mm -hmm. and with this the idea of them as these two outcasts like learning to be people again together yeah is perfect and i mean okay so i've mentioned that i i was never a big fan of the gene scott logan love triangle because Mm -hmm. to me logan and gene never made nearly as much sense as scott and gene and this movie although it does differently i think really captures why it really captures that connection and that understanding and them just leaning on each other to create as a couple something greater than they are as individuals and I mean, obviously, it's all very preliminary. I mean, you know, you just see the, the beginnings of the sparks of that. I appreciated but... that there wasn't any romance, actually. Yeah, yeah. That I was, mean, it's that just, was it's something just... that I, I really I, I really felt like that would have felt super forced. Mm-hmm. You could see this being something that could reasonably lead to a romance. But I could also entirely reasonably see it becoming a close friendship. And, you know, I'd be OK with that, too. And I I I really appreciate that they didn't feel the need to just rush it to. Well, no, these two characters in the same scene, ergo, they must be together. Right. Exactly. So going on with the kids, the one the the one we see the the most of otherwise is Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler is so good in this movie. He's basically evolution Nightcrawler, but like with way better outfits. I like how he's just sort of dorky. I think that was my favorite thing about him. Yes. Like he's he's just not really he, he's not really great at social cues. So like I think my my favorite scene with him is the one where uh, Raven brings him back to the mansion, and she and Beast have this big you know like awkwardly emotional reunion, and about during which each of them remarks that the other isn't blue, and he just. 
just sort of pops up like a fucking whack-a-mole and goes, I'm blue. Right. And it's perfect. It's adorable. And I mean, I don't know. So like, you know, they capture the aesthetic perfectly. He looks exactly like Nightcrawler should, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, he's got the scary things from X-Men too, but whatever. That's, that's fine. Um, but he's got that, that sense of, of playfulness to both his appearance and his affect, his like bearing that I think is, is integral to Nightcrawler. Do you think they were teasing him as Mystique's kid? Because I got that impression. Where? Um, just in the fact that, you know, he's the one who she brings along with her more that she, you see, when they're in the same scenes, you see her turning and looking at him. <gasps> you know, I mean, I, I could see that. I don't think so. Like, I got the impression that she had rescued a lot of mutants and yeah. taken them on, like, the sort of Caliban Underground Railroad, whatever it was thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I got that impression too, but just, just the, reactions i don't know i i do you, do you think I, he's dracula magneto's kid like an x-men evolution that episode I mean, is so weird god that's that's <laughs> actually the next one i have to recap that's that's why the recaps are this late <laughs> because of dracula because, magneto because dracula magneto yeah yeah because i just oh god that episode anyway that that first season mm-hmm. first season is so that's rough. right you'll get through it you'll get through it someday but, but um but right nightcrawler uh yeah nightcrawler is just he's he's so full of heart and he is so full of dedicated optimism and he's he feels like nightcrawler and you know i mean i really like that we get a different starting x-men team here than we did in the first x-men movie because now we have missing elements and i think nightcrawler is probably the biggest missing element you need a character like that you need a character who's the emotional and social heart of the team and we finally have one and we finally have one with a character that's always been best at that like i think it's nightcrawler first place iceman second place speaking of missing elements um I'm going to actually basically skip over Jubilee because she is so not in the movie. Which is a shame because she's the, in like a scene and a half. And, and when she she's is, she's great, awesome. Yeah. But yeah. She does nothing though. But, but, but just so I can use the speaking of missing elements segue, I, I am going to go to the horseman so that I can talk about Storm. Oh, okay. If I had to pick a single actor or actress that stole the show, not working at how much they're on the screen, but just at the times they were. Oh, goddamn. Alexandra Ship as Storm. Yes. I have yes. been waiting since the first X-Men movie for an actress to get Storm the way Alexandra Ship does. Her yeah, her best Storm moments are the ones before she gets the power upgrade, before she becomes when a When she's a thief. When she's the thief in Cairo and she's the kid who just, who is not scared of Apocalypse, who is wildly competent, but still kind of very much a kid in the way she addresses things, mm-hmm. who is is defiant and just a little bit wary of everything. Like, this is Storm. This is this is the Storm that I have imagined through years of comics. On screen, Ship's performance is terrific. It has all of the spark that Halle Berry's did not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, if I have one complaint, it's that I want her to be the center of the movie in the way that she in ways that she isn't. Yeah. Um. What I really liked about her, because I mean, she gets very few lines, especially once she becomes a horseman, and just her main job is to stand next to Apocalypse while he talks about things. Um. But. What she does do is she gets a lot of acting through the way she uses her face and her body. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just seeing her like call down the lightning and just have this this intensity, this passion behind her eyes in the way her jaw is clenched. Like that right there is Aurora Monroe more than anything else. Aurora should always be a creature of pure passion. And, and she sh- sells that drama. She doesn't make it seem affected. Right. Yeah. It just seems like, like that's absolutely she's what she's just feeling. Super intense. Yeah. And so, God, I mean. As much as we've talked about wanting to see the franchise rebooted, like, seeing these kids now as the X-Men, like, I want to see more of them. I also kind of want the franchise to be rebooted. I don't know. It's kind of you incompatible. You know what I want? What's that? I want a Storm and Mystique movie. 
Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That would be pretty amazing, yeah. Oh, but I, I do want to see more Storm in the spotlight. And not just like, I know they've talked about her being the New Mutants movie, presumably as a teacher, and that would be fine. But I want to see her no, as like, you know, no. a main character. I want this kid. I want her pushing back against things. I want her getting in fights. I want her sneaking out. You know I what want I want to see? I want to see her portrayed kind of the same way Mirage is portrayed in Early New Mutants as yes. the rebellious student. Yes. The one who just like refuses to compromise her own principles and her own individuality and her identity. Who pushes back and wins because she's right and because she's that goddamn stubborn. And that's the thing because like Xavier in the comics has always had that kind of respect for her because she is so much her own woman. Mm-hmm. And so you could totally re- you could totally replicate that in future X-Men movies between uh, McAvoy and Ship. Yeah. Well, or between um, Lawrence and Ship. Uh, yeah, yeah, well. that's true. Either way. So we're, we're segueing into the horsemen. We talked um, about Magneto already. We talked about Magneto already. Uh, Psylocke. Is there. Psylocke is one note, but it's a note I like. I mean, she looks really badass and she's good at like glaring intensely. She's she's inscrutable and kind of pissed off at everything. Um, Her she's outfit is not interesting. terrible. Okay, Angel. Oh. So, so here's the thing. That I love about Angel. This is this is my my one of my favorite things. Somewhere in the production of this movie, somewhere in a design stage, someone thought about the character of Angel and went, "Okay, look, I'm going to commit like 200 percent to Alex Winter in Lost Boys as this character's <laughs> aesthetic," and yeah. they did, and they ran with it, and I really respect that. I do too. Uh, one like one of the scenes where he's most like sort of Lost Boysy is when um when Apocalypse comes to find him in that like church or whatever. And okay, so I used to listen to a lot of Metallica when I, when I was younger, and I mean a lot of Metallica. It's true. And so I the fact that, that the fact that I could identify the fact that the song playing was the Four Horsemen by from Metallica's first album within <laughs> one note. Um, it's also a song called The Mechanics by Megadeth because Dave Mustaine quit. It was a long story. But um, yeah, that was like are you, that's a little on the nose, but at the same time, like yeah, it's, it's it's Claremont style cheesy because Claremont would do something like that. Like it'd have some pop culture reference that was like almost too appropriate. And- so Angel is Angel has none of the backstory, none of the resonance, and none really of the interestingness that you would expect from the comics. Um, because he's the most famous horseman from the comics by a landslide. Yeah, no, but Magneto automatically, you know, it's the Charles and Magneto show. And but, so, you know, I I get it though because if you were to set up all the stuff that makes the Archangel transformation that we've covered somewhat recently in the podcast work, oh, you yeah, would seriously you need like an entire other movie just about Warren Worthington, and the dude's not that interesting. No, you know? but you could do you could do something, and it's. Yeah, Angel is boring. Archangel, you know, Archangel is so desaturated and his wings are so clunky. They look very heavy. They look super heavy, especially when he's flying. And I I feel like if you're CGIing them anyway, make them a little bit sleeker. I want to talk about the horseman's appearance because there is literally a scene when they are all giving each other makeovers and it's my favorite scene no, in the it, movie. It, it, goes, it totally goes along with the way we've described Apocalypse <laughs> where like, you know, he's this he's this uh, sort of HR manager and he's just very dedicated to his employees. And he's like doing their makeup and fixing their costumes. It's great. Because we gives, see him making the gives, costumes. He gives them fancier hair. Yeah, he gives Angel a little haircut. And he gives he gives Psylocke purple streaks and he gives he's he's how I feel weird that this movie like a lot of this movie seems like it's rationalizing hairstyle. So it's like why Storm has white hair. Why Xavier goes bald. Why Xavier goes like do those really need to be plot points? No, there's there's precedent there because in the very first X-Men movie, Rogue gets her white streak from Magneto from absorbing his powers. See, and I I just I just like the need to explain hair is one of Brian Singer's (laughs) (laughs) weirder foibles. It's true. But but it did give us what is now my favorite like weird little spin-off idea which is the four horsemen having slumber parties and giving each other makeovers i would watch the hell out of that i would just do that i want to have four horsemen slumber parties where we all give each other like 
servant of apocalypse makeovers. I call pestilence. Like, yeah, see, we should do this. This, this would be amazing. <laughs> but it's, yeah, okay, so apocalypse. We have not talked about guy. apocalypse yet, and we got to talk about apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, eh. that's the thing. Like, I feel like I have so much less to say about apocalypse than the other characters. I mean, he's... Yeah. He's fine. He's, he's a diff- he's certainly a different apocalypse than the comics. Like he's not that megalomaniacal apocalypse that he is in in the comics. He's blue. Um, but you he's know, got he's got what was it? What was the deal with the? There were like two really distinct filters on his voice. Uh, well, there's the there's the mind control one when he's mind controlling someone, uh-huh. and then there's another one when, when he's, he's just, mind controlling someone or when he's souping them up. Oh, I, I I guess both. Well, he's sort of doing both. He he's kind of soups people up as he mind controls them into being evil. The extent to which he mind controls the horseman is never really clear, and that's something that I think I would have really appreciated more of, especially since we get a Magneto who gets away consequence free after killing what I assume must have been mil- millions and millions of people yeah well it's unclear just how much damage he actually so does I mean, it seems like a lot but he wrecks many major cities pretty much entirely and this is this is a weird and like the the violence in this movie is again it's so Zack snyder like the scale of the devastation mm-hmm. relative to the impact that we actually see is it's so disproportionate and what's interesting to me is that in all the destruction we don't see any injured or dead people we don't nope. see any any characters on screen at all except for the main characters yep and I, I just didn't know what to make of that. It kind of took me out of it. Like, as much as I did enjoy yeah, yeah, the sense of scale that we get by seeing, like, all these cities getting fucked up, like, that was cool. Yeah, um, no, it's 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 Man of Steel. It, that, it kinda, that part is. Yeah, it kind of is. And so I, I agree that that was weird. I mean, what I do hope is that they continue the trend of having the events that happen in the movies be things that are talked about by civilians. Like, the fact that in mm-hmm. this movie in the 80s, they're talking so much about what happened in uh, First Class and Days of Future yeah, Past. Yeah, they're literally like talking that. about Days of Future Past in the history class that Scott runs out of when his powers start to kick on. Right. And so and so I think if they can give it some weight coming up, if the, if, if the franchise does continue, which it seems like it probably will, um, then I'll forgive that a little bit. But I agree. I do wish they'd been clearer that, you know, the characters were either doing things mostly voluntarily or mostly mind controlled. It was pretty vague as to what was going on. I really hope it was mind control, because if not, the fact that Magneto got to walk after that is a little appalling. Yeah, yeah. Send James Jaspers to prosecute him after that. Like, oh, let's God. have X-Men 200 don't, go the other way. Don't do that. We, uh, he still gets due process, man. Okay, well, so not James Jaspers. Then. Not That's fine. James Jaspers. James Jaspers should not be allowed to do anything. Do anything. No. <laughs> um, so speaking of the future of the franchise, let's talk about the very end. Let's talk about the X-Men who finally exist. Okay, those costumes are great. I'm really excited about the costumes. The costumes feel like a hybrid of classic elements. And I guess the, the ones they remind me of most are the, the original fives, modern in the future costumes, the, the white and gray and lighter colors. Wait, Mystique's more than anyone else's, but the lines of them at least. Original five, modern in the future. What do you mean? Uh, just just the lines and, and colors of Mystique's costume remind me of the 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 costumes the, the original five get in the present. Okay, yeah, the no. time displaced teenage ones. Sure. Oh, oh, I see those ones, right? Yeah, yeah, those ones. Um, I agree, and yeah, I do like that it incorporates like you know Mystique's white dress thing into the lines of her costume. I mean, Nightcrawler's is just kind of the black and red that he's always had which is fine because it's a it's perfect great. costume design and they 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 look like members of a, t- a team but they're all very distinct they made cyclops's 90s costume not look like crap on a human body it does look a little dorky like he it looks, looks way so, too muscly oh, it's super dorky it's it's a very dorky costume but i i do i mean the blue and yellow and you know especially if the franchise does go to the 90s next i can think of no x-men costume design as 90s as his jim lee redesign mm, at least on a male character close on a male character okay um yeah, that's the, there are colors. There are bright colors. I really that that felt really big to me because this is this is except for 
First Class, which is the only one that's had you know a different director. This this has been a very desaturated version of the X Men. It's been a very non superhero version of the X Men, and even if they continue in the direction of making them more of a more of a strike team, like I want that brightness. Mm-hmm. I want I want that larger than lifeness. I want I want the you know the the hope that represents, and I I want the I. I want the wonder that goes with that. Yeah, because that's the thing with X-Men. I mean, if if I've learned one thing, uh, if, I, if I've learned a hundred things doing this podcast, then here's one of them, um, which is that X-Men, I think, works best when you have, uh, like, like what's, I, I've come back to this multiple times, but the way the, um, that Conan is described at the beginning of the, of the comics, that quote from Howard, like yeah. a man of, like, what is it, enormous mirths and gigantic Great. sorrows or something? Something like that. Yeah, like, that's what X-Men should be. X-Men should be intense emotions, both positive and negative. It should be melodrama. It should be soap opera. Most of all, though, it should be family it should be a group it should be a team book and that's what it feels like we're finally feeling the start of yeah so and i mean i don't know like that's that almost seems like kind of a a, a thesis statement a mission statement if, if we have one on this because i think that's something we both agree on and it only took nine movies <laughs> and it only took nine movies but no is that this movie gets it to where it needs to be and has a ton of moments that just feel like x-men they're just like yes this is x-men right here even if it doesn't really hold together on its own, like I'm inclined to forgive it almost all of its sins because finally I'm able to see stuff that I've never been able to see on the screen. I'm able to see things that feel like what X-Men means to me. Okay, so hopes for the next one. Okay. Now, obviously we have some movies we've talked that have been talked about, like New Mutants and X-Force and some more Deadpool are all coming in theory. The next X-Men movie. But if we were going to get another X-Men movie... I want to see them a little bit older. Like if, you know, uh, Singers talks about having it be in the 90s, so 10 more years. Like, okay, have them be an established team, maybe with slight roster change. But let's have them be a superhero team. Let's not have them, like, you know, be building themselves as a team. Let's not have them, you know, be... like coming to terms with the way the world deals with mutants. Let's just have them out there doing it. Let's have them show Xavier's dream in action, you know, like saving humans from evil mutants or, or whatever. And of course they have to have like some sort of melodrama in between them. You know, somebody should have a crush on somebody that's not reciprocated or somebody should die or whatever. But, you know, give me X-Men who are not afraid to be fucking superheroes. So the first thing I want is I want Singer off the franchise. I mean, I kind of feel like he said all I, he has to say. He has, yeah. he has said a lot. He's said it well. And it is past time. I mean, what gave it the new direction it needed, what basically injected the life back into it was Matthew Vaughn coming on for one movie. Yeah, yeah that's true. First class turned it around. Yeah. And while The Last Stand wasn't Singer, it was still very much building on the world that he, he set. And I don't want to go back to that world. I part of the appeal for me of these long running franchises is getting to see them evolve through different different visions. Mm-hmm. It's that you know and I want that. I I I want to see what someone else does with it. Brian Singer was absolutely the right person to bring on to X-Men in 2000. I don't think he's the right person for it anymore. And I yeah. I think some of that is some of that is time going by and some of that is just that he's done a lot with it and I want to see it in someone else's hands. I want to see someone else's as auteur of that world and set. For me, as far as what I want to see in the next movie, I want a movie that's about the team. I don't want a movie that's about fucking Wolverine. Yeah, I've, unless it's Laura. If they bring Laura okay, in, which they, they could based on the stinger. Yes, yes. Oh, God, yeah, because he's stealing Wolverine's blood and because Sinister is pretty heavily connected to X-23. You need to read her solo series. It's I so really good. do. It's so, Marjorie Lou is so good. Um, But yeah, that that if, okay, if they bring in Laura, that's fine. But I want... I want the I want it to be about the team. I want to see the close connections between the team members that kind of got lost in the Wolverine drama in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Like 
I want to see those bonds. I want, you know, if they do the Dark Phoenix saga, I want to see that tear apart something with an incredibly strong foundation. Right, because if you have tragedy break up a family that you've never really seen be a family, it's not effective. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I want to see, you know, this version of Nightcrawler just, like, crushed by the tragedy that's going on. I want to see Storm and Jean having a long, serious conversation and bonding in a mall food court. You know, actually, that's something I would love to see. I want that friendship. I want so much more of that friendship. Because it was always one of my favorites in the comic. And, you know, yes, Jean was Phoenix for a fair chunk of it. Um, But not not for the important parts. And they also reestablished and rebuilt it afterwards. And it's still amazing. And there's the classic X-Men backup story with them. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, let's see that. Let's see, you know, honestly, let's see an X-Men movie that freaking passes the Bechdel test. Oh, Christ. Finally. Yeah. I don't, has this one? I don't think it does. This one? Uh, I'm not really sure. I'd have to see it again. I don't, I but, don't think it does. But yeah, I mean, let's I see. I don't think, I don't think there's actually a conversation between two, two female characters. Uh, there's gotta be? Well, no, I have to see it again. No. But there's, there, there are, maybe, maybe there's a brief exchange between Mystique and Psylocke. No, there's not. Caliban always talks to Psylocke. Yeah, well, that that's something that can be fixed. I mean, X Men's always been. I think there was an article I want to say on, on CBR that actually mentioned this as a thing that they'd like to see in upcoming movies. And I agree, mm-hmm. this is a franchise that's just ripe for having women be the central characters, like not the yeah. only central this characters. Is, it's the same but, Brett White article, I think. Uh, oh, that was Brett. Oh, well, yeah. of course it was. Good, Brett's awesome. Yes. Um. So yeah, let's let's see them at the front. You know, let's throw in. You know, if we do see the New Mutants, let's have Mirage get to know Storm. I think a younger Storm and Mirage would get along really well. Like that. That would be a beautiful thing. Yeah, I want to see more of that. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where this is going to go. This is, not, this is not the franchise I would have built, but I'm feeling optimistic for it in ways that I have not for a very long time. Apocalypse, okay, wrap-up overview. Apocalypse is a mess. If you are going in to see a tightly structured, cohesive movie, you will be disappointed. If you are going in to see a lot of really awesome X-Men moments, you're probably going to like it. Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, I, I guess that's that. Um, again, this episode, um, is something we, we did because we hit a uh, milestone from our, Patri- from our Patreon supporters support. So thanks again, uh, to them. And if you want to be one of those folks, then please, like, that would be great. We would love that. Yeah. And thank you to Kyle for sticking around for like an hour and a half after our normal recording slots so that we could, we could record this thing and just ramble into mics for half an hour. And thanks to everyone who we dragged along to X-Men Apocalypse last night. Thank you, X Men, for being a friend. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's. uh, (laughs) I guess that's it um, for now. So, we will be back in uh, just a few days after this comes out um, with uh, with another episode. But we hope you have enjoyed this. Thank.